Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. got your Bibles. We're going to be turning to 2 Timothy. As Don said, that's page 722 on 95% of the Bibles underneath your seats. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 13 this morning. I just saw my wife walk in and uh, give a round of applause to my wife just because I said, all right, good, yes. Babe, I'm thankful for you. I am thankful for the mom that you are. I'm thankful that you got our two kids under two here all by yourself this morning, fed, dressed, and everything. And, and all of you mothers, kind of like Don said, that don't get enough appreciation, we are thankful for you. Mom, if you're watching this in a couple days, I am so thankful for you. I'm thankful for the ways that you loved me when times were good in my life, and I am most uh, thankful for ways that you loved me. Uh, when I made a mess of my life. You showed me the love of Christ in those moments, and I love you, and I wish you were here, but happy Mother's Day. Anyway, we're going to jump right in this morning, and uh, like Don said, we've been in this series called Healthy Healthy Things Multiply. This is true of uh, the world that God created, that healthy organisms reproduce in our world and spiritually healthy and mature believers, churches, small groups, and leaders reproduce and multiply spiritually into the world. Speaking of multiplication, this week I actually sat down with one of, uh, not one of, our financial advisor for our family, and we, uh, we're just talking about all the different ways that we need to plan financially, whether that's protection, insurance, retirement, uh, planning for kids' colleges. Uh, we already have a house, but if we didn't, that would be part of the planning process. But one of the things that we hadn't thought about that came up during the laundry list of conversations was a will. You know, we've got two kids now. We didn't think about having a will or a trust. And so that conversation came up, and I immediately thought how ill-prepared we were for a succession plan in this life, at least financially speaking, right? And a lot of us don't think about that. We're a younger church. We don't think about the succession plans in our life. But this morning, I want to talk a little about, about, about a succession plan that's far more important than any money that you might pass down, but it's your spiritual legacy. It's, it's your spiritual succession plan. What is that? Have you thought about that? What is your spiritual succession plan? Because here this morning, we're going to be in the letter of 2 Timothy. Is this really crackly? Or is that just me? Somebody nod. No, it's good? All right. Um, We're going to be in the letter of 2 Timothy. And I love this book because it's a letter that Paul, the apostle, wrote to this young prodigy that he has just taken underneath his wing and he has brought forth into the faith and he's sending him out into the world with encouragement. And Paul finds himself, as he writes this letter, in a prison cell in Rome. 
And Paul's been through so much persecution. He's been through so many trials and he is sitting in a prison cell in the city of Rome because he has stood firm on preaching the gospel and he's pretty sure he's not gonna make it out alive on this one. And so he thinks of his spiritual succession plan and he passes the baton of his ministry on to this young protege named Timothy. He's encouraging him. He's teaching him. He's challenging him. And I couldn't help but think as I was reading this letter this week of my football coaches, and it doesn't have to be a football coach, but just coaches in general in our life. If you've ever played sports, you know, what is the role of a coach? It's not just to come up with a specific game plan for the game that is to be played, but a good coach is an encourager, a challenger, a comforter. They come alongside you. They teach you to persevere. So you have to have a game plan for passing on the gospel for creating a succession plan, but you also need encouragement. And so I just see Paul grabbing Timothy by the shoulders in this letter, and he's just like, come on, we can do this. You can do this. I'm going to pass you the baton of passing on the gospel to, other, to others. But he wants Timothy to know there is going to be hardship on the road. Who knows the Mike Tyson quote? <laughs> Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. Trigger, you're always so dramatic. It's not that big of a deal, right? But it's true. Paul had a plan. Paul had a succession plan for passing on the gospel. And now he got punched in the mouth. He's sitting in a prison cell in Rome. And what's he going to do? So he wants Timothy to know this plan. And everybody likes the idea of living on mission for Jesus until living on mission for Jesus punches us in the mouth, until it's uncomfortable, until it's not easy. And so we need to know what the plan is and how we can stick to that plan because you and I most likely will not face prison for spreading the gospel but we are living in an age where increasingly living for Christ is not popular, it's uncomfortable, you're gonna face challenges. And so if we want to create a spiritual succession plan, we have to know the game plan and we need encouragement. And so Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter two, verses one through 13. He says this, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them, and athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all of these things. <laughs> who loves that that verse is in scripture? Like, I need that when I read the Bible sometimes, right? The Lord will help you understand all these things. 
And then he goes on, he says, always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news that I preached. And because I preached this good news, I am now suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. So I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory to Christ Jesus, to those who God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithful, he, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. If we want the gospel to pass down from generation to generation, we need to create a succession plan for doing so. And so this morning, we're going to look at what that succession plan looks like. And to create a succession plan, we have to know what we have to do. We got to know what it's going to take to actually put that succession plan into motion, and then we got to know how we're actually going to do that. And so first, what do we got to do? Well, Paul begins by saying to Timothy, you have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, what are these things? These things are the truths about Jesus, the gospel, that God died for us, that he rose for us, and that if we put our faith in him, we can have eternal life with him. And he says, you've heard these things been taught. Now, I want you to teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Teach others. Teach others who will then teach others. A couple years ago, my uncle uh, got super into Ancestry.com, 23andMe. Who knows about those things, right? And he got really into figuring out all the intricacies of all of our family lineage. And it was really cool. Honestly, it went a little bit overboard. I mean, I don't know how much money he spent and time he spent, but it was a lot. I mean, it was everything that he ever talked about every time we got together as a family. But I got educated about my ancestry. And see, I grew up thinking that I was just like 50% Norwegian, 50% Swedish. It was just easy to keep those two in my head. So that's what I always said, but what I found out through those uh, uh, Ancestry.coms through my uncle was that I'm much more of a mutt than I thought that I was, right? And our genes are passed down passively to us. I mean, there's an active component. We all know what that is. This isn't kindergarten. But they're passed down actively. We don't choose the genes that we have, the DNA that is in our blood. We are just born into the world with DNA that has been passed down. But if we want to pass down spiritual DNA, we have to be active. We have to be intentional. It will not happen passively. And that's why Jesus, not Jesus, Paul says, you have heard these things. Teach these truths to others who will pass down to others. And see, Paul actually has a spiritual genealogy. Paul literally says, okay, Timothy, I want you to take the gospel. And, and, and Paul had many people that were his spiritual sons. Here's some of them. Paul had Silas, Gaius, Onesimus, Barnabas, Tychicus, Titus, and then Timothy. I'm sure he felt left out because his name didn't end in us. But, uh, Barnabas, Tychicus, Onesimus, Gaius, Silas, Titus, and Timothy. And so Paul takes that and he says, Timothy, I want you now to take what I have taught you and these other people, and I want you to teach others. Teach other trustworthy people. And then when those trustworthy people learn the gospel, they will teach other people 
And you see how the gospel begins to explode into the world. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know 100,000 people to make the gospel explode into the world. You just need to teach those that are close to you. You just need to teach those that are in your own household. Maybe those are your kids. You need to teach those that are in your movement group. You need to teach those that are your friends. And you have to pass down the gospel one person at a time. And this is how it's always been. It's that simple. Paul takes Timothy and he says, teach other trustworthy people who will teach other trustworthy people. But most important is the foundation of every single one of these interactions, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the reason why Paul has the ability, the strength to actually do this. That's why Paul says, do this in the strength that is given to you through the grace of God. You need the strength of the grace of God in your life to be able to do that. It's not easy. And so every single week during the series, we've kind of asked this question, like, does this describe you? If Paul has a Timothy and Timothy has a Paul, who is parked behind your life as you follow Christ? Who are those people in your life that are following you, that are being taught the gospel from you? And who are those that you are parking your life behind? Who are those that you are saying, teach me how to follow Christ as you follow Christ? Because this is not about tasks. This is about people, right? I love what the founder of Life Church, Craig Rochelle, says about multiplying leaders. He says, when you delegate tasks, you create followers. But when you delegate authority, you create leaders. And we talked about this in week one, right? When we talked about Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But then he passes on that authority to the disciples and he says, therefore, You go make disciples of all nations. Multiply the impact that I have made in your life to the lives of others. And see, Movement Church has one of many plays that we run to multiply, to teach others what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that's our movement groups. That's just one of the plays that we use. We also do church planning. Joel Trainer, one of our church planners, will actually be here next week to share with us what that strategy looks like. But one of the main strategies we do within the four walls of this space is our movement groups, that we are quite literally teaching others the gospel over and over and over again. It's messy, it's not easy. People are broken, but we do it because we've been commanded to do it. And then that begs the question, if the succession plan step one is that we are to teach others through God's strength, then we got to ask the question, what is it going to take to actually teach others? And the way I summed up the second section starting in verses three through eight is that we have got to get gritty. We got to get gritty as Christians. You know, this world does not care how we feel about its hostility towards us. And Paul knew that back then, and we should know that today. And that's why Paul, like a good coach, he just takes Timothy and he says, I want you to think about these three things. If you're going to endure, if you're going to make disciples in a world that doesn't want you to, you need to take on the mindset of a soldier, you need to take on the mindset of an athlete, and you need to take on the mindset of a farmer. And think about these things, Paul says. 
Verse 3, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. His first word of encouragement is not to become a soldier in that there will be violence or that you should be violent, although you should be ready for violence to come to you, he's saying to Timothy. But become like a soldier because soldiers exude confidence, courage, commitment. And he says, when you think about the illustration of being a soldier, become single-minded, singularly focused. Do not become entangled with civilian affairs. In other words, if Jesus is your Lord, is that the thing that is driving everything else in your life? Or are you entangled? And let me ask you this morning, because we all have entanglements. We all have things that tie us up, that keep us from that. What are those entanglements in your life? What are those things that are tying you up? Those things that you think are more important than spreading the gospel, than being in biblical community, than making church and Christ the center of everything that you do. What are you getting tangled up in? What has become more important? Because Paul says to Timothy, do not become tangled up in civilian affairs because you are Christ's. And he is your commanding officer. And when he says march, you are to march. When he says put your right foot forward, you put that right foot forward. And when he says put your left, you put your left. Does that describe the way that you follow Jesus? Let me ask you that. And then he says not only should you take on the mindset of a soldier, but he says become like an athlete. An athlete always competes according to the rules. And you go, what is that talking about? Well, back then, if you were to compete in the Olympiad, you had to go through a 10-month training regimen that was prescribed by the Olympic Committee. And when you went to perform, you had to have a signed oath that you participated in that training before you got to compete. And anybody that knows Olympic athletes, I had one in college that was an Olympic speed skater. Her name was Nancy. And I remember she would work out. She would use our college's facility because she was a college student at Wheaton. She was an Olympic speed skater. And, and, and the single-mindedness, the focus that she had on that task was unbelievable. I mean, she knew everything that she put into her body. She knew every single rep that she did in the weight room. She knew every single moment of training and how long it was supposed to last. She knew every minute that she was supposed to be sleeping to itemize and to make best how her training would affect her performance in the Olympics. And anybody that knows successful people, especially athletes, knows this is the case. I mean, think about the tenacity of a Michael Jordan. Think about how he would do anything to win at all costs. Think about someone like Tiger Woods who even though he has destroyed his life in a lot of ways, multiple times has battled back with this singular focus to win at all costs. And see, I know what you're probably thinking. You're thinking, well, that seems a little bit intense, right? But Paul's trying to get you to realize something. That yes, if you're an athlete and you do that, it does make you into a machine, 
But if you have that singular focus and you commit that singular focus to the person of Jesus, the one who created you, who knows you, who loves you, who designed life, who knows exactly how it's supposed to live, could you imagine what that would do to your life? What type of flourishing it would bring into your life? That's what Paul is talking about because when it's given to a God that is perfect, whose commands are perfect, who's filled with love and wisdom, you can't lose. You will win. But lastly, he says you got to get gritty like a farmer. And farming is difficult today, but it was even more difficult back in the first century because think about what it means to be a farmer. You got to get up early. You got to till the soil. You got to plant seeds. You can't afford to lose time. You're constantly plowing and sowing and tending and weeping and reaping and storing and I was trying to think of another word that ended in ing. My mind went blank. (laughs) But not only that, farmers, storing, I already said that, but uh, all right, not only that, but, but farmers, right? Farmers have regular disappointments. Pests come into their fields, there's frosts, animals can destroy their crop, there's constant setbacks, and sometimes I think that we, don't, we think that there shouldn't be setbacks or difficulties when we follow Jesus or try to share his gospel. But most of all, farming requires patience. And you gotta be gritty to have some patience. Because they don't reap the reward for that crop until well after they have planted it, watered it, tilled it. And that's the same for our relationship with Christ. If we are going to create a succession plan, we have to take on the mindset of a soldier, of an athlete, of a farmer. We gotta get gritty, guys, because it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable to follow Jesus. And in a lot of ways, I think this is what is plaguing the church in America today, is people want it to be comfortable. It's not comfortable, but it's worth it, which is why Paul says that even though the farmer plants and labors, there is a reward. Can I tell you, the reward for following Jesus, for getting gritty, for teaching others is so much more than you could ever imagine. You will endure hardship. You will have to be patient. You will have to be disciplined. But in its season, you will reap a reward. What do we got to do? We got to teach others. We have to. That's what we have to do. And we got to get gritty if we're going to do it because there's going to be things that come up in our life that rub the other way from the mission that we've been called to. But we got to be gritty. But you will only be able to do this if you remember Jesus. You got to remember Jesus. Don't even try to do this without remembering Jesus. I'll just, time of confession. Yesterday I was mowing my lawn. 
And I was mowing my lawn, and when I walk, sometimes it helps me process kind of what I've been studying that week or uh, whatnot, what I'm going to talk about on Sunday morning. And I was mowing along, mowing along, mowing along, and all of a sudden I started to tear up because I remembered Jesus. This was a busy week. It was a long week, and when you're in ministry, it's easy to do things for Jesus and forget Jesus in the process. And I sat there, and I was stressed about the morning, like, had I prepared enough? Had I done enough? And the soft spirit of the Lord just spoke to my heart. Not only is it not about you, Trig, but you need to remember me. This is the only reason why you do what you do. It's the only reason you wake up in the morning. You can't forget me, Trig. And how many of us in our spiritual walks have gotten to a place where we feel like we're running on empty, where we have nothing left, where we're worn out? You don't have to raise your hand, but I know that it is 100% of the people that are in this room. And I truly think that your spiritual endurance is directly correlated to your ability to remember Jesus. Because Christianity is not about a list of to-dos, it's about a relationship with Jesus. Which is why Paul literally takes Timothy and he says, always remember, always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. And when we forget Jesus, the weight that we carry to do the things that he has called us to do crushes us because we think that that is our burden to carry. And nothing, literally nothing that I just told you about teaching others or getting gritty matters if you forget the person of Jesus. The best moments in my life are times when I remember Jesus. The worst moments in my life are those times that I forget Jesus. And so if we want to create a succession plan for passing on the gospel, Jesus and the gospel cannot be assumed. It has to be at center stage. There's a famous saying, and I think that this is playing itself out right now in our world, especially in suburban America, that if you want to abandon the gospel, this is generally how it happens. One generation knows the gospel. And with it comes all the other things that the gospel impacts, like justice, caring for the poor, standing up for marginalized people. The next generation assumes the gospel. They don't really focus on it. They don't talk about personal sin. They don't talk about repentance. They don't talk about Christ. So they assume the gospel. And the entailments, those things on the side, they become bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the third generation, they abandon the gospel. And those things become everything. They become God. And that is why our world is so angry right now. Because they have a fraction of the gospel. They have everything that the gospel means when it impacts the world, but they don't have the gospel. So they get angry at the world and they yell at the world and they say, Christians, you're the problem because you're not doing this, 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 and this. And Christians, they go, yeah, that's why I need Jesus. That's why I need a savior. And they don't understand because one generation knew the gospel, the next assumed the gospel, and by the third generation, they'd abandoned the gospel. And if we're not careful, that will happen to us too. 
because remembering Jesus is actually the only fuel that will make you a better person in the world. It's the only fuel that will make you stand up for injustice. It's the only fuel that will make you adopt. It's the only fuel that will make you a better husband or a wife, that will make you a better father or daughter or son or mother. And so what specifically about Jesus has to be at center stage? Paul says, the resurrection. He says, because Jesus was raised from the dead and because I preach this good news, I am suffering and I've been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. I've been chained, but the word of God cannot be chained. And so he says this, I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those that God has chosen. Did you know that because of God's unbelievable love for you, he created a succession plan for you? He took 12 ordinary men and he discipled them and he taught them and those men went on and they taught others. And then Jesus got gritty for you. He became like a good soldier who said, Father, I will do whatever it takes to save the creation that we have created. And then he did it. And even when the Father said, it will cost you your life, and Jesus says, not my will be done, but your will be done, God. And then he takes the punishment for our sin. He got gritty He endured suffering because his mission was at the forefront of his mind. He was single-minded like an athlete. He was laser-focused. And then while he lived, he was like a good farmer who planted seed after seed after seed of the gospel, knowing that some of it will sprout, some of it will bear fruit, but a lot of it won't. And there was people that abandoned him, people that listened to him, that said, I don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. But he planted, and he planted, and he planted. But then Paul wants you to know, the most important part of the gospel is the ending. The part where Jesus takes that death, he takes that sin, and he raises to new life so that you and I can be confident, we can be confident that we have that life too. And that's how we remember Jesus, right? Because we're not passing on rules to a better life, we're passing on the gospel, that if you put your faith in Jesus, this life is just the beginning, there's a whole nother one to be had. And now Paul, because he looks at the example of Jesus, is able to sit suffering in a Roman prison cell and he's able to tell Timothy, buddy, pass on the gospel because it's all worth it, even if it costs me everything, if one more generation knows Jesus. Does that mentality describe us, Movement Church? Does that mentality describe us? I 
One of my dear friends and mentors often likens their Sunday services to the locker room. We're going to come back to this football analogy. The locker room is just a place where you have your wounds bound up at halftime, where you come in to get encouragement, where you go over the game plan, but then you got to actually go out on the field and you got to do it. And we got to go out on the field and we got to do it. Because if we want to create a succession plan, we have to teach others. We got to get gritty and we got to remember Jesus because Jesus is the thing that we're passing on. We can't do one without the other and we can't do the other without the one. What is your succession plan? Because this is the only play that we have, it's the only play that we run as Christians. It's that simple. Share Jesus. And so if we want to be a church that multiplies, not just small groups, but multiplies churches, multiplies leaders, multiplies disciples, we have got to remember Christ. He's the only reason that we do it. He's the only reason that we do it. And we all have a role to play. And not every single one of us is going to be the quarterback, but we all have a position on the team. What is that position? Teach others. Get gritty. Remember Jesus. And so just talking from one family member to the next, what is your role? What is your role? For us, movement groups are a big way that we multiply this into the world. Maybe you are our apprentice now and you need to step into leadership. Maybe you're a leader now and you're going to continue to lead. Maybe you're a participant in a group and you just need to create more critical mass and faithfulness in that movement group. Maybe you need to start serving on Sunday mornings. Maybe you need to do, I don't know. But God knows And if you pray about it, I believe that he will reveal that to your heart. And he will show you what that next step in your walk with life with with Christ is. But we all have a next step. We do have things to do. We do have people to teach. But most of all, when we do those things, we need to rest in Jesus. Create a succession plan. Create a succession plan for following Jesus, for passing on the gospel. And then go execute that plan into the world. This is what multiplication looks like. And we will only do it when we remember Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we worship you for the fact that you thought about us in 2022 in Hilliard, Ohio, when you went to that cross. Lord, you thought about us when you raised up 12 disciples to make disciples. You knew that it just took 12 ordinary people to teach 12 more ordinary people, to teach 12 more ordinary people, and it would change the world. And we sit here because of that legacy of multiplication. And Lord, we want to be a healthy church, not a perfect church, but a healthy church. And we know that healthy 
churches multiply. And we know that that doesn't just mean multiplication of other churches, but it means multiplication within our own body. So help us to do that, Lord. And I pray that if anybody is having something stirring in their heart, that they would meet us at the prayer table in the back with our prayer team members during worship, that they would feel confident to be able to maybe lay some burdens down, confess some sin, whatever you need to do in their heart, Lord, as we worship, I pray that people would seek you and let that be done in their lives. Lord, thank you, you, we are grateful for your spirit. We are grateful most of all for your son, Jesus. And we pray that we will be able to multiply his impact by your spirit into this world because of the example that you have given us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.